Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we go hunting for value stocks, which are a group of shares that have been ignored until late 2020, but many experts suggest they are in for a really good run. So to identify them, we have Julia Lee from Berman Invest and Adam Dawes from Shore & Partners. We then have Fairmont Equities' Michael Gable looking at Nanosotics and Prometicus, which viewers have been asking us about. Uh, and they are interesting companies. And then Michael throws in a company he likes, BHP. You'll see whether it's a buy or a sell based on his analysis. And then Paul Ricard looks at the best listed funds that invest overseas. Really interesting analysis from Paul. So let's kick off with Julia Lee. Welcome to the program, Julia. Great to be here, Pete. Now, we're, we're hunting for value stocks. Um, when you think about value stocks, how, how do you define them? Well, the, the key with value stocks is to work out whether it's a value trap or whether you are going to see a, a recovery in terms of the company. So I think it is important not to be buying into companies that are in a downgrade cycle and rather companies where there are some positive catalysts ahead so you can see the share price increasing. Just because something's cheap doesn't necessarily make it a, a good investment. And I think it's a combination of looking at value as well as the potential growth and recovery of a company. Yeah, okay. So let's kick off with some of the companies that you think, and I, I must admit, whenever I, I think about value companies, I know Roger Montgomery always said he likes to try and work out the intrinsic value of a company and compare it to what the market is saying about the company. And often that can unearth some really good opportunities. So, so what's your first one? Sure. Um, I guess when I have a look at value stocks, I look, look, try to look at it uh, together with the growth profile. So firstly, I guess the way we measure value, the most common way we measure value is through the PE ratio. Mm. The market has a PE ratio of around about 16. So anything below 16, generally cheaper than the market, above 16, more expensive than the market. But I think that needs to be looked at in terms of uh, the potential growth as well. For example, if you do see a company with a PE ratio of 16, it's usually because you expect it to grow around about the market. Companies with a PE ratio greater than 16, well, you expect to see growth greater than the market, and PE ratios below 16, you expect to see less growth coming through. Sometimes, though, you're lucky enough there's a mismatch between um, what the market prices and the growth that's expected, and I think that's where value stocks really become quite interesting, Pete. Yeah, and I think around September, uh, you and I might have talked about how the banks really did look like good value and they did come through between September and February, really rocketed, didn't they? And their PEs were quite low for the banks, weren't they, at that stage? Yeah, I think you make a really good point there, Pete. Um, when you look at things like the banks, they are quite cyclical and, you know, when people are pessimistic and we're near the bottom of the cycle, well, value is certainly there and things are cheap. But as you see that inflection point and see earnings growth and potential earnings growth coming through, you actually start to see that flipping. Earnings are relatively low, but the market price is in that future growth. So suddenly you start to see things looking a lot more expensive compared to prior years. But as earnings catch up, the multiples of the bank should fall again and mm. then uh, you should see some more reasonable multiples coming through. So I do think you need to look at value in 
in terms of the cycle as well. And the banks are at the start of this cycle, especially in terms of interest rates rising, because rising interest rates are a positive for the banks and the pricing of their mortgage books. So, look, the banks are an interesting example, and certainly they were value around about six months ago, um, but now we've seen a bit of catch up, but they should continue to do well. Yeah. Uh, through the so, so they are value stocks that will have gains, but not to the same magnitude as we saw September to February. Yeah, there's there's a bit more growth being priced in, which means they're trading at higher multiples than six months ago. But certainly the cycle isn't finished, which means that there is more growth ahead. I think one of the interesting companies I'm watching at the moment is Waypoint. This is a real estate investment trust. And look, the PE ratio is only seven compared to the market, which is about 16. Now, when you have a look at real estate investment trusts, there's two ways of making money. One is the yield or the income, and the other is the capital growth or the potential capital growth of the assets. When you have a look at Waypoint, the the yield is 6%, so it's a pretty decent yield given where interest rates are at the moment. But I think what's more exciting is the land value. It generally holds things like petrol stations. It's got about 2.2 million square metres of land, and 50% of that land is in metropolitan areas. Now, if anyone's been following the property market, it's running hot at the moment and with that 50% of the land which is in uh, metro in metropolitan areas uh, around about 40% of it is in zoning uh, which is uh, zoned for things like apartments and townhouses so look I don't like petrol stations but I certainly like the land value of waypoint so I think it's an interesting value one given that it's only trading at seven times and the property market has been running pretty hot so I don't think the market's really caught up in terms of the value of its yeah. underlying assets. Do you think also a part of it's the negativity to waypoint is the fact that it's called a REIT and REITs are at the moment on the outer because people don't know what's going to happen to offices and CBDs and all that sort of stuff. So it may well be in the same collective group called REITs which aren't being chased by investors right now. Yeah, it's, they're not being chased by investors because we are seeing interest rates at record lows and there's fears that as interest rates rise that we could see the cost of these REITs going up. Generally, REITs are one of the most highly geared areas yeah. in the market. If you think of when uh, normal people buy property, they usually gear it to a large extent to a, an 80% leverage or a 70% leverage or sometimes even 90%. Well, real estate investment trusts are, are pretty much the same. They're usually geared to around about the 40% level on the Australian market. Mm. Um, and of course, as interest rates rise, there's an extra cost of servicing those loans. So we have seen longer term bond yields rising. So real estate investment trusts aren't very much in favour at the moment. But I guess that's at the heart of value investing to try and work out what's not in favour and try and work out what's being thrown out with the uh, when you throw out the baby with the bathwater to work out you know what shouldn't have been thrown out um, and I think Waypoint's an interesting one given that it's more than 99% occupancy the average uh, weighted lease term is about 10 over 10 years um, so it does tend to have stable cash flows and of course residential property running pretty hot at the moment. Okay that's Waypoint what else you got? I think the other one is aristocrat leisure. Now, you wouldn't necessarily uh, 
group this in uh, the value basket, given that the shares are trading pretty much at record highs. So um, the reason I call this value is because if you have a look at the PE ratio of aristocrat leisure, it's only 17 times. So it's trading basically where the market is. And if you compare it to the industrial sector, well, the industrial sector has a PE ratio of 22. But I think what's exciting about aristocrat leisure is that what's been driving the earnings is being the social and the online gaming. Mm. But of course, as casinos reopen, especially in the US, you'll start to see the reopening trade having a positive impact on earnings as well. So look, at the moment, I think aristocrat leisure is undervalued with a PE ratio of 17 times, given that the sector has a PE ratio of 22 times. And not only do you have exposure to that uh, social and online gaming through that acquisition of Big Fish, but this is a company in pretty solid uh a solid uh, with a solid balance sheet so there's a potential of acquisitions to help boost earnings as well so i think aristocrat leisure although the share price doesn't seem like value if you have a look at the underlying multiples mm. it certainly is trading at a discount to the sector but i think it's a, a good investment over the next 12 to 18 months okay is there another one i can squeeze out of you or that's it <laughs> sure. I think mining services companies are looking interesting at the moment. And NWH is one that's been sold down quite substantially since the beginning of the year. I think the share price is down around about 25 to 30%. I think what was interesting in the first half results is revenue was actually up by 45%, but net profit was only up by 13%. And one of the things that weighed was the, the costs. Um, and especially in terms of employment costs, lockdowns was having an impact in terms of staff turnover and also having experienced contractors um, uh, because this is in the mining services area. So look, I think NWH is an interesting one. I think revenue growth will continue to come through. As you saw from that announcement yesterday, it had a new contract win as well as an extension of an existing contract. So I don't think there's any problems on the revenue side. It's all about keeping those employment costs down. But I think the revenue side of things is relatively strong. So this is medium risk, but I think in terms of uh, value, the value is certainly there. And we know that commodity-based companies have been doing really well. So revenue should continue to yeah. ramp up. And, and historically, the services companies don't go up at the same time as the the mines or the commodity companies, but they eventually kick in, don't they? <laughs> they eventually kick into gear. And look, we have seen things kicking into gear on the revenue side, and net profit hasn't been uh, too bad as well. It's all about keeping those expenses in check. So I would be going with more experienced uh, mining services company with a good track record, because we know that in terms of project work, once costs blow out, that really starts to impact on profit profitability of projects. So look, I like Monodelphus in this area, but NWH has been uh, sold down pretty dramatically. Great stuff. Julia, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Pete. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG.
Well, joining me now is Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners, and we want to look at the value stocks that he thinks look pretty attractive right now. Adam, thanks for joining us. Yes, good afternoon. Good morning. How are you today? <laughs> yeah, it is afternoon and morning. Some people do watch us in the morning, but most will watch us at night. That's okay. I don't expect you to be right on everything you do, just as long as your stocks are good. Only the stocks, exactly <laughs> right. Only the yeah, stocks. Yeah, yeah. We have a very utilitarian relationship. Get the stocks <laughs> right and then sod off. All right. So, Adam, yeah. for people out there who aren't quite sure what value stocks are, how do you define them? Yeah, it's an interesting one because you, you potentially see value in every stock in the market if you look at it through a different lens. Mm. But basically value for me is something that potentially you've seen the market rally, let's say 200 points, 500 points. We've seen the, the last year, the markets you know, had a very, very good run. It's those stocks that haven't had, had taken that run mm. or potentially have rallied a little bit, but haven't kept up with the overall market. Now we've certainly seen tech stocks Right. I don't see any real value in tech stocks at the moment. In fact, tech stocks are being sold off mm. for value to come in or, 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 or rolling those stocks to get more value stocks in there. But really, it's the underperformers that have got a fantastic business model, blue chip, and that they won't, they'll be, they'll be around in the next 20 years, but just potentially the market's forgotten about them a little bit. The way I see it also, mate, is that there's some great quality companies that have missed out in this sort of rotation, chasing the tech stocks or chasing the next best thing, like the reopening trade and whatever. And Correct. some get left behind, but eventually people say, hang on, uh, this is, th these guys will benefit from a reopening trade. I think CSL is one of them. And I think that's one of the stocks that you like, that maybe yeah. in the first instance of reopening, it might not benefit, but it may be in a year's time when people start giving plasma again and they're not worried about coronavirus, it could be a real, really good performer. Absolutely, and so certainly with CSL, you know, you don't get that foot traffic that you're getting when you obviously donate blood. Mm. So CSL with the COVID and everything else has been hit pretty hard on the back of people not being able to give blood. So that's one of their major parts of their business. But it's also the Australian dollar. Mm. And you, a lot of people don't realize that a stronger Australian dollar doesn't do well for healthcare going forward. Mm. Hence why CSLs continually being sold down as the Aussie dollar continues to, to be more stronger. Yeah. Now we've seen the Aussie dollar come off a little bit of late, mm. and that's where we start to see potentially that value in CSL going forward. Yeah, but I must admit, I always say to people, CSL might not impress you in a year, but in three years time, you'll be really glad you bought it at these levels. Yeah, agreed. And there's a lot of clients with cost bases a lot lower, mm. you know, from where CSL is today. So, you know, but for new entrants in there, I think anywhere around here under 275, I'm really comfortable buying CSL. I think it's a good, good, good buy. Yeah. And as, and as I was listening to you, I, I always remember uh, many years ago talking to Roger Montgomery. Roger always said that when it comes to value stocks, look at, try and work out the intrinsic value of a company and work out whether the market's got it wrong. And I think with CSL, I think the intrinsic value of CSL is a little higher than what we're seeing in the market price right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, CSL over the last three or four years has had a fantastic run. So, you know, it makes sense for it to start to move sideways and start to flag a little bit. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think CSL is, 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 a, is a great business and you will never go wrong owning that company. Okay, let's go to the next one, mate. What, what would you like to talk about? Well, Woodside, Wood, yeah, Woodside. I, I wasn't sure Woodside. whether you, I wasn't sure whether you wanted to jump in and say Woodside. I could have said it to you. Let's talk about Woodside. <laughs> Let's talk about Woodside. Okay. All right. So Woodside, look, 
I think it was one of those ones where oil certainly doesn't deserve to be around where it is at the moment, sort of $60 a barrel. We saw through the COVID crisis, it got down to $30 a barrel. In fact, it got negative. Mm. So, you know, one of those things are that, you know, you've got to be really, really careful about sort of owning oil stocks or energy stocks. We certainly see Woodside as one of those ones that has a fantastic dividend. It has recovered from $15 back up to sort of $26 and, and $24. It's been moving around here. But I definitely see value in this one going forward. I think oil should be around $80 a barrel and minimum $80 a barrel. And I think it really should even be higher. Most analysts have got price targets or sort of in their in their oil prices around that sort of $70 to $80. So there's still some earnings uplift to happen with Woodside. I think this should be a $30 stock all day long. Mm. So, you know, where it is at the moment, I still see some value. I still see the income coming in and potentially that oil price will lift and that's where we, we will get some extra value out of the stock. Okay. Your third one is ResMed. And of course, that is actually in the healthcare sector as well. What, yeah. what, what's special about ResMed that you think the market will eventually wake up to? Look, again, I think it's been hit on the Aussie dollar side of things because they repat or they they report in US dollars and they have to bring Aussie dollars back. So I think that's one. Look, these guys have done very, very well with their ventilators and they've done very, very well with their face mask and their sleep apnea business. I just think that's one of those ones that, you know, we are always going to need it. Once a client's on ResMed and they've got the sleep apnea I call it the Darth Vader mask, but the mask that goes on there. Yeah. Um, they, they always have to come back every six months to get the new mask, to get the new parts. It's just a fantastic business. I really do think that this one, again, with CSL in that healthcare space is my top pick due to the fact that they have been able to change the business model a little bit. They've changed their business model to do ventilators, but they've also got that sleep apnea business, which is, which is growing at, at an exponential rate. We're all getting a little bit heavier. There's a lot of smokers still out there. Uh, snoring is an issue and sleep apnea is, is definitely seen that as one. So, yeah, uh, ResMed, I think for me, is, is, is a big buy at the moment. Okay. So, in a sense, your uh, additional weight is actually helping the potential of ResMed. Is that what you're saying? Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I, we, we all. I'm not going to say not, not just me. We all are getting a little well, bit. Well, I've dropped nine kilos over the last six months, mate. So I'm totally, totally. That's why people love you, Peter. That's why people love you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm such a, a new age guy. Let's go. The your final pick is ASX. ASX. Tell us about why. Look, I like it. Yeah, and look, this is probably my table thumper of today. This mm -hmm. is this is my buy. This mm -hmm. is this is one. I mean, yes, CSL and Woodside and ResMed. I think they're fantastic companies. Yeah. I think ASX is one that has got some very uh, a huge intrinsic value going forward. One is that we know that the corporate deals that that they're going to continue in this market over the next sort of three to six months are going to be huge. The amount of trading that's going on on the ASX. If it's not just through the brokers like us, but also through all the self-directed guys and all of these sort of self-wealth and all of these Robin Hoods, mm. if you'd like to say, um, there's so much value in ASX around that $72, $70 level where we are at the moment. It pays a great dividend. It's got, it's got, it is the monopoly in the market share. Uh, Chiax has been taken over by a US company. I think that's just going to provide them more competition but I really see some value down here at ASX. I think it's a fantastic business and everybody should be looking at that one to add to their portfolio. Okay, I had a quick look at FN Arena before I came on to see what your stocks, you know, what, what the analysts say. ASX, yep. ASX is the only one that got a negative, it's only 2.4%, but we know the analysts 
unlike brokers, can be wrong. Um, Woodside, <laughs> Woodside up 13.7%, Resmed yep. up 12.9% and CSL up 11.2%. So three out of four, the analysts are saying Adam Dawes is a genius. Can't, can't Look, the only reason why they're saying ASX is they're saying the earnings might be a little bit softer mm. in the next six months. I'm okay with that. I think the price is right. You got to buy. You buy at a right price. You make some money on the That's stock. That's right. And we don't necessarily buy for six months. You know, if you're a long-term investor, right. you're looking for the future, mate. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. Well, joining us now is Mike Gable from uh, Fenmont Equities, and I've got Mike in a couple of people in our. Boom Doom Zoom webinar for the subscribers to the Switzer Report. Asked about these two companies, Nanosonics and Prometicus. And uh, Mike has agreed to come along with a company he likes as well. So let's just kick off and see what Mike is seeing in the charts. Great to see you, mate. Thanks, Peter. Okay, let's kick off the first one, Nanosonics. What, what's the chart telling you? Um, this one looks very interesting. Mm. Um, a buy. That's code for probably <laughs> a buy. Probably <laughs> a buy very soon. Yeah. So. Um, uh, not a buy right yet, but a um, few things happening on this chart that I want to uh, illustrate. So firstly, we look at the bit that's circled. So this is mm -hmm. a daily chart. And what it's showing is a share price that um, obviously fell quite a bit on that particular day, mm -hmm. um, but it then rebounded quite a lot off those um, intraday lows. Um, and if we have a look um, at, at the bottom of of, of the bit that's circled. Mm. Um, along the bottom, we've got the volume. We could see there was a huge spike in volume. So right. um, the fact that it, it dropped on that particular day, saw a lot of intraday buying, um, and then after that, it never traded as low as that with all that volume is telling me that there were a lot of frustrated um, investors in Nanosonics because you know it was falling quite a bit across mm. January, $8 February. $8 down to about six, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. and. Um, often that's a sign of exhaustion. So a lot of people just giving up on the stock. Mm. Um, and then obviously a lot of buyers stepping Smarties. in to take it, mm. take it off them. So the fact that it didn't follow through on the downside mm. um, is telling me that we've probably seen a good low there mm. um, in Nanosonics. And as we could see, um, that low occurred a little bit higher than that November low. So very significant level in the low fives. Mm. Uh, so very interesting to see that happen with all that volume. We've probably got a low in Nanosonics. Um, and then since then, we could see with the, uh, the diagonal blue line um, that every time it did try to dip back towards where it mm. um, finished on that particular day in February, the buying's come in. So we've got these, uh, these, these higher lows, it's, it's stabilizing here. Yeah. Um, to me, it's not a buy just yet. Mm. Um, basically, I'm, I'm not a fan of buying stocks where you've got a lot of um, intraday volatility. So we could see that across February, very large price mm. ranges. Um, it's now starting to, to slow down. The range is tightening up a bit. So I'd wait for that, I guess, slowing down and tightening up to finish off. And then when you see the, the share price pop, you know that um, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's quite so, happy with those so levels. So in simple so. terms, if you see another you know, notable, noticeable leg up, mm. that would probably be a, a buy sign. Yep. Um, do, do you know much about the company or, or has this made you intrigued to, to know more about the company? Oh, the it's, it's, it's one I've, I've traded previously. Yeah. I know Nanosonics hasn't really made much progress in the last couple of years. Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's a stock that we invested in and traded um, back out of a few years ago. Yeah. So I'm aware there's still 
um, you know, expanding overseas in Europe. It's a, yeah. it's a very it's a very good good technology, of course. Yeah. I think they've I think they've just disappointed the market with a few um, you know a few earnings updates which weren't weren't as strong as they it's needed. It's like the Mesoblast thing, isn't it? Looks Maybe good not for as a while. Looks <laughs> good until it doesn't. And then yeah. okay. okay. All right. So that's one one worth having a look at. Let's yeah. go to the next one, Promedicus. Mm. So this one also looks um, looks looks pretty good at the moment. Mm. So um, it's had a very good run over the last mm. um, several months or so. Um, what I'm trying to show now on the chart is again this tightening of of, of the trading range. Mm. Um, and we can see, you know, last Friday it did jump up out of that range. Um, it jumped up over $44. Unfortunately, so far today on Monday, it's, um, it's, it's heading south again. I mean, the whole market's just pulled back a bit. Mm. But to me, it looks like it's, it is getting ready to, to make a move. So um, basically... And, you think more the and look, it, it yeah. seems to have a, a greater inclination to go up than go down, isn't it? Yeah, when it when it's going up, it, it does it at a fair rate of knots. But mm. I mean, it's the same as on on the way down as well. So yeah. it's quite volatile. So, so for those to, to keep it simple for everyone um, watching, look, I'd be I'd be happy to start buying Prometicus here um, as long as it stays above that sort of triangular region. So where I've got those two diagonal blue lines, mm. um, as long as it stays up here, I'd be happy to buy. I so forty two dollars might be a worry if it goes below forty two. Yeah, exactly. You need to have, you know. We're, when I buy these things uh, straight away, um, I, I already tell myself, well, where am I getting out if, if I'm wrong? Mm. Um, you know, where do you have your stop? So, yeah, if it starts trading back at 42, then that whole pattern's failed and, and the thing might roll over. But at the moment, as long as it's above that triangle, um, that's great. I think it can head higher. Mm. If it starts trading below that triangle, time to get out, take a quick, pro uh, okay. quick loss. Great stuff. Let's go to the one you want to talk about. And two weeks ago when you were here, was it two mm. weeks or one week? Yeah, a couple of weeks ago yeah. we, we looked you're, at a few charts. Yeah, and you like BHP then. Yep. Um, yep. So has it continued to impress you? Yeah, so a couple of weeks ago I looked at, I think it was a monthly chart. So just trying to show everyone, longer term BHP looked, uh, looked pretty good. Mm. But you know, shorter term it was just suffering a bit of, bit of weakness. Mm. Um, I think that short term weakness is over. Mm. Um, so in my opinion, it looks like BHP today, um, we've got another buying opportunity. So, you know, this weakness across March, as we could see from levels close to $51 all the way down to almost $44. Mm. So, you know, big move down there on BHP, almost a 15% drop. So that, to me, that looks like it's over. So what I'm seeing again is we've had a big drop down. Um, the little diagonal lines to me show the tightening of, of the range. It's, it's not falling any further. Um, and then I've circled the, the gap up today. So again, as long as it's trading above that triangle, I think BHP mm. has higher to go. Um, what I've indicated with that horizontal line um, is the previous low uh, in mm. February there. So if BHP, if BHP is remaining in an uptrend, it needs to stay above that blue line. Mm. So if you're venturing out to buy some BHP now, look at that blue line. If it trades under that, you need to be out because it's broken the uptrend. Mm. Um, but yeah, look at the moment, BHP, even the other big miners, they look like they're, they're ready to head higher again. So if you're looking for an entry point, I'd be, I'd be buying BHP. Yeah. When you see stuff like this, Michael, which is obviously driving you because of the technical information about the buying and selling of a company, mm. and you're hoping to get an insight about what the smarties 
know about this company or think they know about this yep. company, right? But then when you, you start, because I know you, you don't ignore the fundamental analysis, what do you think is out there that is going to help BHP maybe go back to 51 again? So we've got a situation where, um, you know, the US dollar, okay, it's had a bit of a bounce recently, but mm. the US dollar should generally continue to decrease. That's good for commodity stocks. You yeah. have a situation of government stimulus, which is good for... Global economic growth. Yeah, generally, um, and BHP will benefit. Um, and of course, there's fears of inflation and a good hedge against inflation are hard assets. Um, and BHP is digging up hard assets every day. So, and Brazil's having problems. So Vale, yep. one of its biggest rivals, is still not really back to normal at all. And China's mm. demanding a hell of a lot of iron ore. Yeah, that's that's right. Mm. So, you know, I'm still bullish on commodities generally. Mm. Um, and it's just a case of you know, I just want to try to make sure I get the best best entry point. I don't want to be the bloke buying BHP at $51 and waiting. Gee, hopefully selfish, hopefully right? for it to, <laughs> to get back up there. So yeah. again, if you've been on the sidelines looking to buy BHP, I think it's it's now buying. Yeah. And another little thing I could throw in is that also it's paying damn good dividends and yeah. there are a lot of funds that buy stocks because they pay dividends. So those people are actually mm. on the queue to buy them. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of investors out there who, you know, they want dividends and you know, good dividends are few mm. and far between at the yeah. moment. And again, if you could buy BHP at 45, 46 and get the dividend as opposed to 51, mm. and then you, you've got the loss as well as your dividend, I think you're much better mm. buying it now while it's on the upswing. But despite the dividend, again, if it falls under that horizontal line, you need to be out because you know, investors need to remember that, that these commodity stocks are, are cyclical. You yeah. don't, you don't, don't buy, buy the HP dividends and then hold it for 10 years. That's you need right. to make sure you've got it in the right part of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I've been cautious lately, but certainly happy to hold. But there's going to be a time when I'm going to have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm getting nervous on the miners. I'm out of here. But at this yeah. point in time, I'm playing for the next dividend. Yep. Mike Gable from Fairmont Equities. For a change of pace, let's talk to Paul Rickard about the best international funds that are listed on the Australian stock market. Paul, what do you think people should think about investing overseas via a fund? Well, I think a fund has two advantages, Peter. One is it's really hard for you and I to actually invest on a share-by-share -share basis overseas yeah. because uh, just too many stocks and... Uh, and to be honest, I just don't have the time to monitor it. <laughs> that, yeah, I think that's, that's, the, that's the first problem. Mm. And secondly, I think that, um, look, a lot of the, the fund managers have proven they can invest um, pretty successfully offshore. It's just a much bigger universe of securities. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's uh, not subject to some of the issues in the Australian market, but mm. uh, there are some great performing managers out there, uh, and I think it's worth looking at. Yeah. Personally, I, I like and I'm comfortable doing Australian stocks. I haven't got time to do foreign stocks, and I invest using you know, international funds. And some of the um, ones I invest in are actually on this table of yours. So why don't we kick off with the first one, Paul, Magellan Global. Yeah, I think it's important to put uh, performance in context, but yeah. I've selected these six uh, bases on performance. Now, over what kind of time frame? Look, I, I prefer longer term, but right. you can't ignore short term performance. Mm. But of course, uh, as we know, ASIC and everyone out there warns us and say, you know, past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Well, this, what that means, of course, is that just because a fund has done well in the past doesn't guarantee a return in the future. No. We all get that. Yeah. 
But that all said, you know, I wouldn't want to invest in a dud performer. That's right. <laughs> I think it's suddenly going to perform. Hope it's going to come around. Hope it's going to turn around. Yeah. So I think performance is still a really good way to look at investments. Yeah. Um, you just have to be careful and know that just because something's done well doesn't guarantee yeah. success going forward. Well, you know, historically, I w if I was a punter on tennis, I would have preferred uh, back in Federer and Serena Williams <laughs> on the basis of their past performance. Yeah, I don't think the same thing goes for investment management. So track record yeah. means something. The first one's Magellan. Now, this is an interesting one because uh, obviously they're not only Australia's biggest fund manager, biggest offshore manager, but their performance has been under pressure lately. So yeah. uh, they've had a pretty ordinary last 12 months. In fact, uh, returns are negative for over the last uh, unusual for these months. guys. And they're about 12% um, behind their benchmark indicators. So that's a pretty big underperformance. Mm. Uh, now, over 10 years and since inception and over seven years, Magellan is still in front. Mm. And so I think you back long-term track record yeah. and, and you say, well, okay, well, last year they got a bit bearish and they stayed longer in cash. They put money into, a lot more money into cash into, when the, the markets were rebounding. Yeah. And some of their, you know, tech and... Um, and Chinese and, investments. And right. other investments mm. didn't pay off. Mm. So um, I still think you back Magellan. I don't think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's wrong to put them off your list. And on 10 years and seven years, They've got a really great record. Number of ways you can invest in Australia, the uh, MGOC, which is their um, global fund, that's now an ex effectively a quoted managed fund. That's, like an that's, ETF. that's the biggest way, it's $13.5 billion. Uh, there's also a closed class uh, fund units, which is MGF. And there's thirdly, there's a hedge version, which is MHG. So uh, three different options from Magellan there. Yeah, and so basically, Paul, if, if one had a 10% gain, the others would have a similar kind of gain. Yeah, pretty much. The hedged and unhedged is different. Of course, yeah. the Magellan does invest unhedged. Um, it's, it's big ones. It's, it says that uh, you know, one of its arguments for not hedging, of course, is it thinks that the companies that invest in it, they're global. And, and over time, you know, these companies learn to adjust to different exchange yeah. rates. And yeah. You pick that up in the return. One thing also to note about Magellan, I'd never just invest in Magellan or never just invest in the next one we're going to talk about, WCM, because they are pretty concentrated, only 20 to 40 securities. Mm. They do look at the whole span of, uh, you know, global securities, but, yep. you know, that's a fair degree of risk. And, and But it's to their credit they have outperformed yeah, over that definitely. sort of period. Let's go WCM then. So WCM is part of the, of, of the WCM group. It's a big West Coast, West Coast of the United States fund manager. It's available here through two formats. There's a listed company called uh, WQG, which I happen to be a director of people and should just disclose for the record. Yeah, but if, and if the performance was crap, I, I wouldn't let you talk about it. <laughs> but let's just get that out of the way. And also um, WCMQ, which is their uh, quoted managed fund. Mm. Their style of investing, Peter, they really look for two things. First of all, they look for um, what they believe are sustainable and growing competitive modes. So mm. that's sort of the thing that the school that Warren Buffett made sort of pretty uh, famous right. about yeah. looking for growing for, for, for companies with big moats around Protective them. Protective moats, yeah. Uh, what WCM wants to look at moats that are, are growing, so it, it says first of all it's all about the direction of the moat, that's mm. what's fundamental. And the second thing that they add is a company's culture. So yeah. the culture's got to be supportive of that moat. So they've had a fabulous track record, Peter, and done really well over all time periods. So that's WCM. Yep. I have a third one if you're just talking about uh, emerging markets, uh, Fidelity, uh, that's their global mar emerging markets product, probably the pick of the emerging market players. Fidelity, a very big international fund manager. Yeah. It's available through a local uh, actively, uh, sorry, uh, quoted uh, managed fund. That's so it, it's listed. It listed yep. on the ASX. You can buy and sell units mm -hmm. in the ASX. You get a, you get a chess statement like on the ASX. 
uh, that trades under the code of FEMX. And they're good because they are in Asia and China, aren't they? They've got a pretty good handle on the Asian scene. Yeah, it's pretty much biased towards uh, you know China, Taiwan, South Korea, and India, mm. a very, and, and South Africa. A little bit of you know South America and, uh, and and Eastern Europe. Mm. But it's mainly, it's about 90% uh, Asia in terms of uh, composition. Yeah. Let's go to Platinum Asia now, Paul. So Platinum Asia, um, not emerging markets, but this is mainstream Asia, uh, excluding um, Japan. So uh, that's, that's China, Hong Kong, uh, South Korea, Taiwan, Philippines, uh, Thailand, India. That's all the main markets in Asia, uh, excluding Japan. Mm. Platinum been in business a long time. This is their flagship uh, Asian fund. It's, done, it's been a good outperformer, uh, mm. not just in the last couple of years, but over 10 and 15 years. Again, it's, a, uh, it's an effectively a quoted managed fund available on the ASX. It trades under the code of PAX, P-A-X-X, mm. uh, and that's got a pretty good record. Yeah, so next one, Paul, Morningstar International Shares Active. Yeah, this is more a, uh, a your typical sort of very diversified um, fund. It's managed actively, and of course, I should have said at the outset, we're not looking at any ETFs here because no. With an, with an index-based... Passive ETF. Yeah, yeah any, any passive ETF. Of course, with a, with a passive ETF, you're guaranteed to get index less a fraction, right? Yeah. Nothing more, nothing less. So if you want outperformance, you will never get it out of, of a passively managed ETF. So this is an active fund, uh, and it's a very diversified fund, something like about 340 different stocks make up the underlying fund. Again, another uh, the way to get into this fund is another... Um, uh, managed fund listed on the ASX, that's MSTR. This is sort of the new way that these Mister. managers are coming to the market. Yep. And it's had got a good record. It's basically done well in the last 12 months and over seven years is pretty much bang on index. So okay. uh, for an active fund uh, and for a very diversified fund, I reckon that's pretty good performance. Final one, hearts and minds. Yeah, now this really isn't your typical global equities fund. Hearts yeah. and minds is, uh, it's a bit like a, the, the organisation where the fund managers donate all their time mm. uh, and the fees that they would have charged all get donated by the actual company mm. to um, uh, ch children's charities. So yeah. well, this, is, this is a feel-good investment. Yeah. But it's, it's also some of the best fund managers but in the world. Yeah, it's a bit of a badge of honour to be nominated as a hearts and minds fund manager. There's yeah. about somewhere between 25 and 35 different managers. They all get a mandate, about 3% each. You know, invest in your number one pick. That's yeah. the way it's run. So there's no management here trying to say, no, we've got too many material stocks or we've got too many tech stocks. Mm. Here are 35 managers. Go and pick well, your best investment, right? Yeah. Uh, and for the year. For the year. And it comes as a listed investment company. She's just done well, Peter. The performance is really strong. Yeah. Uh, trades under the code of HM1. Now, my caveat to this, Peter, is that uh, it's trading at a premium to NTA of about 10%. That means that that to buy the shares on market, you'll pay about 10% more than they're actually worth. So if the mm. unit's worth a dollar, mm. you're paying a dollar ten. Now that's a big premium to pay yeah. uh, to get access to these managers. So you really want them to keep on building on that premium. They really have to outperform for that premium to be sustainable. Yeah. And of course, uh, you know, there's question marks about that. So I put it up there. It's also not purely global because it's about 73% global and about 27% Australian. And of course, that's because the managers have a free reign, right? Yeah. This is your number one pick, right? Yeah. And off they go and do it. So that's a listed investment company. The code is uh, HM1. Okay, so if anyone wants to basically catch up with this full story, you can have a look at the Switzer Report. You just go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Peter.